Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal for the month of June 2022. Welcome to episode 85 of this podcast series. The concept of the show is to just have a brief chat about what comics I've read since the last time we had one of these brief chats, which should make this pretty much the comic books I read during June. These books are listed weekly in blog posts at eyesandearsblog.blogspot.com, and I regularly repost them on my Facebook and Twitter so you can find those. But those posts are not exactly spoilers for this podcast, since those are just lists. And here, there's a little more review, a little more critique, a little more discussion. But first, there's a little bit of feedback. The notorious JJG, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein, said that he was glad about one of the things I read last month. Black Sad is an amazing comic. I think I almost agree with that, Jeremiah. And Sir Sir Martin of Grey wrote in with a very interesting question. Hi, Alan. Uh, thanks for another top show. I was going to ask what a silverware character is. As mentioned in relation to Sherlock Holmes and the War of the Worlds, a valuable literary property, perhaps? Like the fancy silverware? Then I listened again, having got out of the shower, and realized you'd said Silver Age. I mean, that's probably what you said. <laughs> I absolutely loved the two Nathaniel Dusk series. Did you see his kind of, sort of cameo in Doomsday Clock? Clever stuff. Best. Martin. Blame my accent for any miscommunication, Sir Martin. Yes, those two Nathaniel Dusk series are on the short list of my all-time favorite miniseries. And no, I did not know that he appeared in some way in Doomsday Clock. Thanks for the comments, and thanks for that information. I recently released an episode about comic book grab bags and thought that this was a good place to go over the feedback from that episode as well. There were a few questions about the image that I used for the Twitter post for that episode, which was an Ollie's grab bag, but not the one that I had purchased. Just an image I nabbed from the web, which confused some people who worried that they had missed that part of the episode where I talked about an issue of Marvel Team-Up. No, no. No, I do apologize for that unintentional deception. And on Grab Bag, Sir Martin uh, wrote in here as well, Good morning and thank you for the surprise bonus episode. It's interesting to hear about these Grab Bag things, as we don't have them in the UK. I remember in the 1970s, Marvel Treasury Editions were called Grab Bags advertised in Marvel UK Comics, and I didn't really understand the title at all. I thought they were the U.S. equivalent of British Lucky Bags, which were cheap bags with sweeties and surprise toys inside, but apparently not. Well, I would say that comic book grab bags are pretty close to those Lucky Bags you mentioned. Anyway, it's fascinating to hear about what you got. The biggest surprise is that you've never read the Avengers' first lineup change. Get to it, man. It's a classic. And spoilers for later in this episode, but I have rectified that oversight. Mart says, 
that he does want to take issue with one little thing, though. I realize that you're a certified accountant and a tenured professor, whereas I have just a CSC Maths Certificate Grade 1. Still, I feel it's jolly unfair to up the average price per issue because you have repeats. The maths shouldn't change according to the reception of the comics by the buyer. The relative worth is different to you, but the deal is the same. Anyway, thanks, best, Mart. See, that's one of the advantages of being a listener of the year. You get to call out my mathematical shenanigans. My explanation, Martin, is this. You are focused on the theoretical calculations, while I'm dealing with the practical, real-world applications. Especially if you're talking about the business world, where the way in which you apply the overhead is everything. Either way, I'm so glad that you enjoyed the bonus episode. Always interesting to hear about things that are a bit different on our respective sides of the pond. Later, Mart said he just had to look at the cover of Secret Defenders 9. The comic so nice, I grab-bagged it twice. Max from the Weird Warriors appreciated the splurge-tastic nature of the episode. Ed Moore from the Boom Addiction podcast approved, uh, no surprise, of the nice assortment of Boom stuff included in the Ollie's pack. And Drew, from Comics for Fun and Profit, asked the important question of whether these qualified for future quarter bin coverage. I wish, Drew. I really wish. 70 cents is such a ripoff! Billy D., the man behind the magazines and monsters empire of podcasting, wrote in, Morning Prof., I love numbered lists. So here we go. One, I'm sorry you had to pay more than a quarter for those comics. So say we all, Billy. So say we all. Two, I've never even seen a multi-pack that interested me. Yes, I, I do get that. Three, my condolences on the contents of said multi-packs. Yeah, Bill, that, that is the risk. Four, I couldn't care less about Power Rangers. Thank you for that support, Billy. Speaking of, we got less positive feedback from Gene Gene, the podcasting machine Hendrix, noted fan of all things Thor, which is, in fact, critical to this message. Well, it was a good run, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to stop listening to the podcast. I mean, disparaging Thunderstrike? The character second only to Quasar in Marvel's Pantheon? Of course, that's nothing compared to the trauma you just put poor Charlie Niemeyer through with your hatred of the Power Rangers. Quote Bugs Bunny, for shame, Doc. So sorry, Gene. I, I accept your disapprobrium, but let's just keep this episode away from Charlie. Okay. And actually, Gene, we are in lockstep on one thing. I do totally agree with you on one point. I also rank Thunderstrike one spot below Quasar on my list of favoritest awesome Marvel characters. You rank them, I guess, one and two, while I rank them each 
a few hundred spots lower. That's all. I think this all goes back to Gene's scarring experiences on Quarterbin 100, or as we called him back then, poor Gene Hendricks. A social media support for last month's reading journal came from Sir, Sir Martin of Grey, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Herman from the Long Box of Darkness, Sir Luke Jack and Eddie, Sir Dr. Ange, Clinton from the Days of High Adventure podcast, Evan Bevins, Karen from Between the Pages, Chris Lydon 7, Billy D, The Telltale Mind, Chris, The Charlton Hero, WL3, My Comic Book Collection, Gregory Litchfield, David Ace, Gutierrez, former podcaster on the former Ultraverse, former podcast, former network, and the Lady Laurel from the Huntress podcast. Thank you all for that kind support. And now we move on to the comics that I read last month. And as I do on this show, I'm categorizing the books that I read. And first up are the books I read specifically for podcast appearances, the homework books. And for Quarterbin 185 for July's upcoming Hashtag Western Comics Month special, I read All-Star Western 23 from the New 52 era featuring Jonah Hex. And for an upcoming guest shot on Deconstructing Comics, I read one of the all-time classic comics maxi-series, DC Comics Crisis on Infinite Earths, 1 through 12. For an upcoming episode of Back to the Bins, I read Starcore, number three from DC Comics from the mid-90s. For that episode, Paul Spatero brought Popeye number one from the 2012 IDW run of that character. And I also read Starcore number four. I picked up both of those at Carolina Comics and more from their 33-cent box when I visited my dad over Memorial Day weekend. And that's right, the store slashed the prices in their discount bins from the last time I was there, summer of 2021. For as long as that store has been open, they have had a three-for-a-dollar box. But this year, when I visited, they were selling those books for, now sit down, three for 99 cents. Take that, inflation! And comics I read for listening to podcasts. And there are getting to be a good number of these most months because of the DC Infinite app and my love for following along with comic book podcasts. To listen along with the new Batman Family Reunion podcast, I read Batman Family 6 featuring new stories starring Batgirl and Robin and, of course, Batgirl dealing with Native American issues, though that's not what they were called in the issue but dealing with those as both Batgirl and Congresswoman Barbara Gordon. That was the better of the two new stories. But both new stories were loads better than the Mad Hatter reprint and also the four-page Alfred story. Like, yikes. You know, I just mentioned that I listen to a lot of DC podcasts and read along with their books. Actually, Batman Family 6 
turns out to have been the only one during June. So moving on to the general comic reading that I did, as referenced in the feedback above and discussed on a recent episode of Relatively Geeky Presents, I picked up some grab bags recently, and from those I read Scarlet Witch number 1 from the 1993 limited series. Despite the complete 90s-ness and her short hair, my crush for Wanda will not be dimmed. This set up the drama well enough with her nightmares and her reaching out to Agatha, and then it ends with a bang facing down Master Pandemonium. Very dramatic. In the Marvel Milestones reprint of Avenger 16, the breakup of the original team, and the intro of Cap's kooky quartet. See, Mart, I did read it. And like I said, I don't think I had read this before. I just knew it by reputation. And it is certainly of its era lots and lots of words to read. But with Kirby's layout, Stick Air's art, and Stan's words, I mean like all of those words, they certainly made for a very, very fun and historically important read. And Power Rangers Pink, number six, wrapping up this mini-series. What I liked about this as the end of a comic mini is that the action wrapped up with about five pages to go, and then we got a nice character-based denouement. And that seemed to bring a nice sense of resolution to the whole series. Nice. And wrapping up a mini-series written by the legendary Tom DeFalco. Thorcore 4. This did a reasonable job of bringing me up to date on the collapsing multiple realities and why these heroes, Thor, Thunderstrike, Dargo, and the criminally underused Beta Ray Bill, have to come together to battle Demon Staff. That's right, Demon Staff, just in case you forgot which decade this issue came out in. Not enough Beta Ray Bill. But overall, this was an average-ish-ish. And from the 50-cent sale at Crazy Comics, I read Flash 229, a 100-page collection from 1974, although only one was a new story, where the Flashes of Earth-1 and Earth-2 team up for a significant battle with the major villain, Ragdoll? Not bad, although not as good as the reprint story, where a beautiful alien gal actually runs faster than Barry Allen. The 1949 story featuring Johnny Quick was cute in its own way. This whole thing was well worth a pair of shiny quarters. And from Kirk Spencer, a.k.a. Big Five Army, a few issues he sent that were Kickstarter books. Slightly exaggerated, issues one and two. From Clow and Bach, in a colorful pastel world, an adventure-seeking gal with only a few weeks left to live, well, she just goes for it. Cool world, cool technology, characters with potential, not bad. I mentioned previously that over Memorial Day weekend, I visited my dad in eastern North Carolina. And on the way back from there, Mrs. Quarterman and I Spent a few good hours with our good, good buddies, the Sutherlands. And they gave us some wonderful gifts. 
including some comic books from the last year or so. The Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries 3, 9, and 10. Very fun series asking the question, what if we took Scooby-Doo team-up and only had him team up with Batman? Because Batman. Uh, We have three standalone issues here. My favorite one being issue three, where Scooby and the team team up with Ace the Bat-Hound. Excellent stuff. And then issue 10 is also fun with the obvious scenario of having the Scooby Gang, which has a team member named Shaggy, man. So, of course, they had to battle the Shaggy Man. Fun, fun, fun. And some of the kids' books that I read, which mostly came from Sir Rob Lance and some from Pulp Reality. I read Betty's Diary 12, Huckleberry Hound's Summer Fun 31, The Archie Babies Collection, Sad Sack and the Sarge 53, Archie at Riverdale High 25, Walt Disney's Comics and Stories Volume 25, Issues 10 and 11, and Volume 29, Issue 3. I picked up the Huckleberry Hound Summer Fun Book because, well, it's summer. But I have to admit that none of those stories were particularly summer-focused. I guess Yogi Bear was stealing picnic baskets from campers, which you could interpret as being part of summer vacation, but there was no beach-themed story, no surfing. And as strange as it sounds, the lack of summer was Kind of a bummer. And in terms of younging down Archie, I will say that the Archie Babies, a collection I believe sent in by Kirk Spencer, that the Archie Babies were much more enjoyable than Lil Archie usually is, at least to my tastes. So now it's time to take a break, play a promo, and when we get back, it will be time for some action-packed action of a wide variety as we get to our hashtag Adventure Comics Month reading list. Sawate, my name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Batgirl the Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Batgirl Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Batgirl run, 
Dwayne Swierzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. And we're back to talk about seasonal reading, which for the month of June means hashtag adventure comics month. So prepare yourself for stories about barbarians, pulp heroes, spies, martial artists, and more. These were acquired from a variety of sources, and I'll do my best to identify those as we go. And in approximate alphabetical order, we have... And you know... I've mentioned this before, that some months, it's tough to find appropriate books from the Archie world. But there are a few adventure lines or series in the company's history. And here, we have stories featuring not the man from Uncle, but the man from Riverdale. R period, I period, V period, E period, you get the idea. And that stands for... Does it really matter what Riverdale stands for? Maybe we'll make it a challenge for listeners. Come up with your own version of what Riverdale stands for in a a spy setting. Now, understand that in the actual scenario, that final E, the last letter of Riverdale, actually stands for etc. Which, to be fair, is kind of funny. So the ones uh, I read of this were in Life with Archie 49 and then 51 through 55. These stories just really set up fun spy adventures in and around Riverdale. There's no continuity from story to story, which is fine, because it lets the various characters fill different roles in different stories. And one of the fun parts about these is that they take full advantage of comics having no budget. So they come up with some of the wildest gadgets and vehicles, fun stuff like that. But this is a case where reading too many right in a row, you know, that could be a problem. These get repetitive fast, which would not have been the case originally reading these monthly or bi-monthly, whatever the, the publishing schedule for the title would have been. But, you know, that being said, that as a warning, I do recommend the Man from Riverdale issues just maybe take them, you know, one at a time, with a few days in between. And then we get two from a series by Roy Thomas and Ernie Colon. Arak, Son of Thunder 6 and 7, which I nabbed from the 3 for 99 cent bin at Carolina Comics and more. This is such a strange series. And I think that's why it's still remembered to this day mostly fondly. From what I gather online, the fans of this series are real fans of it. Because it it looks like a standard adventure series. Arak is your Native American hero from the 8th or 9th century. But then you set the story in Europe, 
Oh, and you add in vampires and demons and the Black Pope. And what comes out of that mix can be interesting. Also, a shout out to Cologne's artwork, which I thought was particularly strong. We mentioned the Sutherlands earlier, who last year introduced me to the international comic Blake and Mortimer, produced in the style of the Tintin albums. I read a few during Global Comics Month and realized that they fit here as well. So I read The Strange Encounter and SOS Meteors. The Strange Encounter, as it turns out, should have been read during hashtag Sci-Fi Comics Month, as it appears to include aliens. But it turns out to be just, you know, time travel. And then SOS Meteors, again, sounds like something from outer space, but it's more like meteorology. The French government have called in Professor Mortimer to solve the issue of extreme weather that's threatening the continent. Things go awry, and Blake gets called in, and between them, they rush to solve this man-made climate catastrophe. And an interesting take on this adventure genre from Gold Key, Brothers of the Spear, number one. The title went 18 issues, which isn't too bad, actually. This is a multicultural cast, which must have been bold in that era. The Brothers of the Spear are a white fella and a man of color, best friends who rule their respective friendly tribes. Not sure how that sounds five decades later, but it is what it is. There is potential here, but to be honest, I doubt that was fully exploited. And one of DC's top barbarian characters, books I got at a 50 cent sale, Claw the Unconquered 1, 7, 8, and 9. I've read some Claw in the past. It's quite possible I've read a few of these exact issues in the past, uh, but I enjoyed them. Claw has some strange moments where we get a bit of the ancient alien thing that was a big deal in the mid-70s. His origin, how he got the cursed webbed hand, involves powers beyond our understanding, a battle of cosmic forces. Which, if you're going to do a Conan ripoff, and I mean that with respect, every barbarian character is a Conan ripoff. But if you're going to do that, you got to do a few things to make it different, make it stand out, make it unique. And in Claw, I think they really tried to do that. From the world of Marvel, a couple of lightly powered ladies from the early 2000s, and since then TV stars, Colleen Wing and Misty Knight, a.k.a. the Daughters of the Dragon, one through six, written by the excellent team of Palmiati and Gray. They're working in the bail bonds business, so a certain low level of low-level bad guys cross their paths along the way, and they get drawn into circumstances that neither is pleased with. The big bad behind it all is a publisher by day, evil genius by night, which I'm sure in no way is a comment upon the higher-ups in the comic book world. (laughs) And from the 1970s Marvel run of this classic pulp character, Doc Savage 1 and 2, 
These were based on the original tales from the 30s, which is usually a good sign. And it was here. There's a solid story taking place in the aftermath of the death of Clark Savage Sr. This sends the team to Hidalgo and ends up giving them a continuous source of funding in the shape of lots and lots of gold. I only recently, the last handful of years, got into this character. You know, seven, eight, nine years ago, something like that. And I really like the vibe of the guy. Yes, of course, there are problematic bits, but I do my best to not let those affect my enjoyment of the character. This run only went eight issues, and I think I'm going to take a crack at tracking down the rest of these. And a series I picked out of the 50-cent boxes at Pulp Reality from Innovation, a tale about the OG men's adventure character, the Punisher before the Punisher, Don Pendleton's Mac Bolan, the Executioner, 1 through 3. See if you've heard this before. A Vietnam vet whose family is gunned down by the mafia and then takes his revenge on those mafiosi. Yes, not the Punisher, I mean the Executioner. This first comic story, actually scripted by Pendleton and his wife, is an adaptation of the first Mac Bolan novel, War Against the Mafia. As the opening text piece says, for four issues, with more stories to come. Unfortunately, the comic only lasted three issues, so it ends before this first full story could be wrapped up. But it certainly was action-packed and adventurous for the three issues that we got. And yes, it is totally the Punisher's origin. And from Sir Manuel Carmona, a character who has been known by many names, but in the New 52, he was rebranded as an action-adventure spy-type character. Grayson, 1 and 2. I am a fan of Helena Bertinelli, so the fact that she was also working for the Spiral Agency along with Grayson, that helped me enjoy these. I mean, it was fine. Let's put it this way. These are available on the app, but I didn't go further than issue two. At least for now, I haven't. And then the first half of a comic run, which I've already read the second half of, I know, it's confusing. This time I read The Green Hornet Strikes, one through five from Dynamite. This takes place in future Chicago, more corrupt and crime-ridden than ever. And considering the past and present of Chicago, that's pretty darn corrupt and crime-ridden. And in that environment, a new Green Hornet rises. Is this new hero related to the original? And who exactly is the new Kato? This was interesting, I have to say, it's not my favorite modern take on a pulp hero. And a couple of mini-comics, I guess about three-quarters, the standard height and width, from Dark Horse, Indiana Jones and the Shrine of the Sea Devil, and Indiana Jones and the Arms of Gold, number one, that one is of four. These were released in concert, 
with the Crystal Skull movie, and both were fun. Shrine of the Sea Devil was especially strong at the end, which had Indy being rescued by Amelia Earhart. The problem with these is that it made me recognize the existence of the Crystal Skull movie, which is something I personally prefer not to do. And from Marvel, well, technically, Atlas Comics, from the 1950s run of this title, Jungle Tales number 4, with a pretty decent lead story, featuring Lady Jan of the Jungle. Sorry, I mean the beautiful and dauntless Jan of the Jungle. That's what they refer to her as in the story. She rescues a lion cub, which is cool until the cub grows. And then the father lion comes looking for his kid. Perfect Father's Day reading, as it turned out. The other three stories, just think about what you would expect from 1950 stories from Jungle Tales. And yikes, the less said about those, the better. Since this book was already falling apart, and given those problematic scenarios... I thought it best to send this one directly to the Shredder after reading. And a character that Dynamite has done a lot with in the last decade or so, including this series written by Greg Pak, James Bond 007, 1 through 12. This one is solid, with British intelligence taking on a task that, we learn eventually, involves Goldfinger, after the first few issues focus on a new version of Oddjob. In this, Bond faces down, and then joins up with, agents from other nations, including Korean intelligence, if memory serves. And of course, even among allies, sometimes your priorities don't sync up perfectly, and allies may quickly become enemies. We get all of that and more in these issues. Again, very good reads. And then one of the leading Tarzan ripoffs. I mean, knockoffs. I mean, I mean, let's go with characters inspired by Kazar the Savage, 18, 20, 22, 23, and 26, from the late 80s run into the 90s. I picked up most of these from the 50 cent sale at Crazy Comics, and Sir Dr. Ange supplied at least one. I actually like this character a fair amount, partly because He is so much like my favorite iteration of Tarzan. I'll mention this later, but I like smart Tarzan, articulate Tarzan, jungle and city Tarzan, which is exactly who Kevin Plunder is. And, of course, there's also Shanna and Zabu. Don't diss the big cat. In these issues, he goes against Craven the Hunter, which is an adversary that makes some sense. Although in story, Craven has to be convinced and well paid to do it. That's a nice touch. Good stories, many of which took place in New York, because comics, with a character I tend to like. And another story of a team-up with the Dark Detective. This one. A crossover between DC and Dynamite, The Shadow slash Batman 1 through 6. The team up between our protagonist, 
occurs because two of their top antagonists, Ra's al Ghul and Shawan Khan, team up in a situation involving the Silent Seven, the secret cabal of families who have controlled the world for millennia. Okay, that could work. And throwing in Professor Moriarty as part of this also caught my interest. And because Roz is involved, Damian Wayne becomes involved and ends up fighting against his grandfather. It's not bad, although very contrived, and they don't address the Shadow's continual use of guns, which Batman is not such a fan of. Overall, this was a valiant effort, although falling a bit short. I'll take more Batman team-ups with Scooby-Doo. Thank you. And then we lose Batman for The Shadow Now, 1-6, through six, written by David Liss, who's a novelist I enjoy. I particularly recommend his novels, A Conspiracy of Paper, The Whiskey Rebels, and A Spectacle of Corruption. In this series, we move into the current day, but via comic book shenanigans, the Shadow is the same age as he was in his pulp days, and he teams up with the granddaughter of his main squeeze, Margot. In this one, his greatest villain, again, Shawan Khan, escapes prison and with his granddaughter, take out the Shadow's network of operatives, and then goes face-to-face with the man himself. Good story, lots of comic book nuttiness, and Liss does not fall into the common novelist problem of trying to put too many words on each page, each speech bubble, etc. No, he seems to understand how a comic book script how comic book storytelling should work. It's a well-done and solid comic book story. And the final issue of a series, and sadly it ends on a cliffhanger, darn you, Bronze Age comics, from Marvel, Skull the Slayer 8. You may find this hard to believe these days, but in the 1970s, The Bermuda Triangle was a big deal. It was such a big deal that it was the premise for this short-lived adventure story. For modern folk, it pulled into the prehistoric past, including Vietnam vet Jim Scully, a.k.a. Skull, a.k.a. Skull the Slayer. You can see what they're going for in the team building, the time travel, the overall vibe of weirdness. But obviously it just didn't catch on. I say that knowing full well it probably outsold almost every comic book published last month. But over almost 50 years, times change. R.I.P. Skull the Slayer. And from the Hoopla app, I read Tarzan 207 through 210. The first four issues, when DC took over the license and also the numbering. Joe Kubert retells the Burroughs' origin in these issues, and does so pretty faithfully. We have Lord and Lady Greystoke being killed, but their young son surviving, taken in by a mother ape who has just lost her own baby, naming him Tarzan, and growing up with the apes, learning their ways, but also discovering the hut 
where his parents lived and finding books there and teaching himself to read. So this is smart Tarzan, articulate Tarzan, eventually able to fit into London society as easily as he does jungle society. And eventually, not in this origin story, but eventually having to choose between the two and having to choose between his desires and Jane's. He does meet Jane in these issues, by the way. This is the take on Tarzan that I like, the OG version. And Kubert, of course, does a great job. It looks epic. Uh, wonderful. I skipped ahead a little bit and read 215 of this series, a complete story about Tarzan saving native workers who are being exploited in the mining industry. Solid stuff. And that issue also had the start of Beyond the Farthest Star, another Burroughs property adapted by Marv Wolfman. But speaking of Joe Kubert, I read from the 2008 reboot, Joe Kubert's Tour 1 and 2 of a six-part series. These were slow-moving, meditative almost, with the necessary bits of action uh, that you'd expect, of course. But it's a character piece much more than an action piece. That being said, it's really, really strong. Not just the art, which of course is very good, but I like the plot as well and the scripting. Interesting, solid stuff. And long before he was a dinosaur hunter whose issues filled the cheap ends. We have from Gold Key, Turok, Son of Stone, 80, 81, 83, and 84. What I liked about these was that there was just a bit of continuity. Turok and Andor trying to find their way out of the Lost Valley so they can reunite with their tribe. And within that, the issues are telling complete stories beginning middles and ends about efforts on their part to accomplish that task. My favorite of these was issue 80, where Turok encourages Andor to practice his archery to improve his skills, skills that eventually end up saving Turok himself. And one where they fail to climb up an ice wall to escape. It's interesting to have heroes in a situation where, at least for a number of issues, they fail in their quest. It was weirdly refreshing, and overall, these issues were surprisingly strong. I didn't know what to expect, but these were some of the best gold key issues I've read. And a fun one from Dynamite telling the story of a classic pulp-style hero. Zorro Rides Again 1 through 6, written by Matt Wagner. Good story of a justice-minded hero who is not a fan of the strong grip of the government of Alta California and that government's unfair tax policies, a motivation I totally understand. In this storyline, Don Diego de la Vega learns that his father has stumbled on his secret identity, totally changing the man's view of his son, who he assumed was a lazy, indolent, good-for-nothing. This allowed for some nice character bits to go along with all of the action and the swords and the whips and the horses. I've read some other modern Zorro tales, and I found most of them, including this one, pretty good, entertaining adventure tales. And as you can probably guess, with Z for Zorro, 
we have wrapped up what was a pretty good collection of a wide variety of adventure comics. Next month, for July, which contains the National Day of the Cowboy, we're going to talk about comics for hashtag Western Comics Month. And I think that's everything. In terms of my favorite reads of the month, those Joe Kubert Tarzan issues are great. I enjoyed the Shadow issues by David Liss. James Bond 007 was quite good. Avenger 16 is, of course, a classic. And the Batman Scooby-Doo adventures are worth a mention as well. But in terms of my absolute favorite, and I guess spoilers for an upcoming episode of Deconstructing Comics, and with all due respect to Dr. Ange, the death of Supergirl issue, Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7, easily my favorite read of the month. Next month, I'm not sure what I'm going to be reading other than some cowboy comics for July and some Goldie Vance. But other than that, who knows? But whatever I do end up reading, I will be here to talk about those books that I read during July. And that episode ought to be out in early August. Feel free to let me know what you think of this episode, what you think of any of the comics that I've mentioned. You can send that feedback via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook and blog post for this episode, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. You can follow the network on Twitter at relatively underscore geek, and of course the network has its own page on Facebook as well. Come join us. All are welcome. Thanks for listening, and keep the pages turning.